Campeos. Listening to CITR Radio FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You just heard right there, brand new from the Manipulators from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. It's excruciating. Recorded at Little Red Sounds in Vancouver, BC, Canada, and mixed, brand new, mixed, a brand new mix by Jim Diamond at Ghetto Recorders in Detroit, Michigan. Ghetto Recorders, which will soon be relocated. I hope Jim finds a new place. I'm sure he will in Detroit, Michigan. So that was brand new by the Manipulators from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And the Manipulators are celebrating the release of this 7-inch with a gig. Yes, a one-time reunion and 7-inch release is happening on October the 18th, Saturday, October the 18th at the Hindenburg, 23 West Cordova. So again, the Manipulators back in action Saturday, October 18th 
at the Hindenburg 23 West Cordova to celebrate the release of this brand new 7-inch on Neptune Records. Today on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with Don Pyle from Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet, Phonocomb, and many, Greek Buck, many other amazing combos. Don is going to be coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and showing a bunch of his punk photos titled Toronto Punk and Other Trouble. And this is going to happen... This coming Tuesday, September the 16th at 7 p.m. at the Fox Cabaret on Main Street. Don's going to do a punk rock slideshow and he's going to narrate it and show all the amazing pics that he took of punk rock in the 1970s in Toronto. And that's what I'm going to ask him all about. And to prepare you, Don has sent me a whole bunch of tracks to play to prepare you for him phoning into the Nardwarta Human Serviette radio show to talk all about his photo exhibition. It's going to be happening again next Tuesday, September 16th. Toronto Punk and Other Trouble at the Fox Cabaret. So we are going to hear a whole bunch of tunes to prepare you for the arrival of Don Pyle. And I'm going to talk to Don Pyle all about his legendary picks and rock and roll. Right now, going to play here something by The Mods. Step out tonight. This is all Toronto rock and roll punk action. The Mods, step out tonight. On the Nardwar, the human, serviette, radio, show.
face. Gotta shock the race. You're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there to have some fun by the Ugly, and before that, Tarana with Shockface, and before that, Child Star by the Diodes, and before that, the Poles with CN Tower. All Toronto punk rock bands. I won't say too much about them because Don Pyle from shadowy men on a shadowy planet will be phoning in to the Nardwara Human Serviette radio show to talk all about those bands because not only is he phoning into the Nardwara Human Serviette radio show he's flying out to Vancouver British Columbia Canada to talk all about these bands via pictures that he took and these photos are going to be shown at the Fox Cabaret this coming Tuesday doing a special out of focus 
Talking Slideshow this Tuesday, September the 16th, 7 p.m. at the Fox Cabaret. And Don's going to phone in and tell us all about those bands. He's also going to phone in and tell us about this band right here, the Vile Tones, on the Nardwar, the Human, Serviette Radio Show. Boys at your pay. How'd you earn a hundred bucks a day? Shoe shine boys 
Still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, and we have a caller on the line. Hello, caller, are oh, you there? I am here. I, I'm calling to confirm your pizza order. Who are you? Oh, it's Don Pyle calling. Hello, Don Pyle. Welcome back to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. The last time you were on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show was 1990. 1990. October 1990. I remember phoning you from, I think, a payphone in the Rockies somewhere to talk to you, and I was kind of confused about what was happening. 24 years ago. What's taken so long? But I'm glad you are back. We made it. We made it. It's nice to have my voice on the West Coast. We're still in the game, or you're still in the game. I hope I'm still in the game. Yes, we're still alive. We can say that. We are still alive, Don. <laughs> yes, we are. I, I, I'm pretty sure I am. And you're touring as well. What, yeah. Before we get into that, well, actually, you're touring. for Actually, right now, you are touring, aren't you? Who are you, Don Pyle? Please say, who are you exactly? I am Don Pyle, about to be on tour. <laughs> I am, uh, you know... A, Guy who's been doing things for a long time, playing drums in different bands, making music, producing music, taking pictures, making films, uh, doing all kinds of things that all kind of connect to each other, and doing them for so long that people just look at you and say, ugh. Well, I was saying shadowy men on a shadowy planet, phonocomb, Greek yeah. buck. All of that. And... Um, and some new things, too. I was just thinking the other day, I'm in four bands right now. I don't think I've ever been in four bands before. Thank God two of them don't do anything. What are their names? Well, I'm in Shadowy Men, once again, because um, we started playing again a few years ago, <clears throat> maybe two years ago, um, with our friend Dallas Good uh, playing bass in place of the our dear departed friend Reed Diamond. Um I am in uh, Black Heel Marks, which is my own kind of band, and I put out a, an album of that, um, I guess, close to a year ago. Um, I'm in a band called Long Branch that just did its very first show uh, a couple of weeks ago with um, Lisa Myers and Sally Lee, who used to be in Chicken Milk and Venus Cures All, and uh, Laura Pitcannon who's been in a few different bands, and Darcy Good, who is uh, a member of the, uh, the Good family and uh, a bluegrass player about town. So I'm playing with um, the four of them. And I am also one half of the Filthy Gaze of Europe, which is my sort of electro-hardcore band with Dallas Good. 
And speaking of phoning, you phoned me last time, 24 years ago, October 1990, from the Rockies somewhere. Now you're phoning in from Toronto, Ontario, because you're coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, doing something that I didn't know that you did back then, the Out of Focus Talking Slideshow is, yeah. ha- is happening at the Fox Cabaret this Tuesday night in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Toronto Punk and Other Trouble. And the flyer for this has a picture of a very young Chuck Biscuits of DOA. Could you please explain to the people there, Don Powell, Toronto Punk and Other Trouble coming to the Fox Cabaret slideshow this Tuesday? Well, that picture of Chuck Biscuits, he looks like he's about 13 years old in that, doesn't he? Um, so the thing that I'm doing, I did this book, uh, Trouble in the Camera Club, which is uh, photographs that I took starting from when I was 14 years old to uh, about you know 18 or 19. Um, I bought a camera at that time just when uh, punk rock was beginning in Toronto. Or all over the world, and um, was going to all the shows that I could, and I was deeply obsessed with seeing as much as I could and taking in as much as I could, as I am now in many ways, although I don't have to see everything, I still take everything in. Um, So I was taking all these photographs, and... um, I uh, was actually in my school's camera club, and so, you know, was developing stuff, printing things myself, and um, consequently, a lot of the uh, photographs that I took back then, I never printed, because it was just, you know, I just couldn't afford to print everything, because you couldn't just, like, you know, look at stuff on a computer and decide what to print. You had to, like, actually make a print of every single thing if you wanted to see it, or, or make a contact sheet, so... You know, if I made a contact sheet, I would see, like, oh, those two pictures look good out of a, a roll of 36, and then maybe print those. And so consequently, there would be, like, 34 pictures that I had never, ever seen before. Um, and fast forward to uh, our fantastic te- technological age when you can buy a scanner and look at all your old negatives. I did that and, um, and saw all these kind of amazing pictures that I had, taken back then and so I did a photo exhibit here and that resulted in me being offered a uh, book deal and that book is Trouble in the Camera Club so when I did the launch for uh, Trouble in the Camera Club here I you know because I was so immersed in it I had spent like pretty much like more than a year retouching photographs doing nothing but retouching photographs I had like carpal tunnel syndrome from retouching photographs because the photographs, the negatives were in pretty, some of them were in pretty rough shape. They were very dirty and scratched and stuff. And so many people have said, oh, you should have just printed them dirty and scratched. But, you know, anytime I show people side-by-side pictures of the dirty, scratched ones and the cleaned-up ones, they ooh and ah over the cleaned-up ones and and don't over the other ones. I mean, they just look amazing when they're cleaned up. So um, I spent all this time cleaning them up, and in so doing... I, uh, every, every artist that I, whose negatives I was, uh, working on, I would listen to their records. So if I'm like retouching a Brian Ferry picture, I would listen to nothing but Brian Ferry while I was doing that. <laughs> and that was a lot of listening, uh, cause it took a very long time. Um, and it's a good thing you took photos of such cool bands. Otherwise you'd be <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah. Thank God. And thank God I have so many Brian Ferry records. Um, so 
I was like so deeply immersed in it. And in the retouching, you're looking at things like really, really zoomed in. So you're seeing like all these details that you don't really, there's a lot of details that you don't see when you just look at a photograph or it would take you a long time to kind of spot the details. So I was kind of like all full of all this like sort of useless information about all these pictures, like, you know, all this extra stuff that I uh, decided to do this kind of like presentation of showing some of the pictures and talking about some of the things that were um, not not only that were like going on, like sometimes like, you know, there'd be a photograph, but the two frames on either side of that picture would would kind of like tell sort of like more of a complete story rather than just like the single frame. So, you know, I, I talked about some of those things and details that are in the background and kind of just like my thoughts on some of the uh, uh, the people shown or what they did or what was happening. And, um, you know, it was very well received. People were, um, were you know, seemed to be really into it. And um, so I hadn't, hadn't really done it outside of uh, Toronto, thinking that, you know, outside of here, people really wouldn't be so interested. But I was in San Francisco a few months ago and um, did a photo exhibit and talked there, and the response was pretty overwhelming. And um, particularly with kind of... Uh, you know, a couple of generations of people later, you know, we got a lot of young people who are so knowledgeable about all this stuff. I mean, there's so many people that are, you know, that were there at the time that don't know a quarter of the stuff that so many, like, 23-year-olds know. And part of that is, like, you know, just like the the archive of information that, that so many, you know, people seek out, the Internet, uh, there's such an amazing wealth of information out there. There's also been all these, like, you know, fantastic documents that have come out, like Liz Worth's book, uh, Treat Me Like Dirt, and um, Colin Brenton's uh, really, really fantastic film, um, Last Pogo Jumps Again. So, you know, there's, like, you know, this real, there's just tons of information about uh, these artists out there. So, you know, I can go to San Francisco and people... Um, you know, know who the vile tones and the ugly are. Um, the other day, I saw a video of a band in Japan playing a teenage head song. Uh, so that was that kind of was really exciting to me to see a, a, a young band in Japan playing teenage head. Uh, so this stuff, you know, kind of some of it just like keeps echoing. And uh, so you know, the uh, the talk that I that I did was so well received. I thought, you know, I don't have a band who wants to go on the road at this moment. And it would be great for me to, uh, be able to, uh, go and visit some friends in different places, visit some places that I haven't been to for a while and actually have a bit of time in each of those towns to, um, kind of reconnect with a lot of friends that I know mostly through, you know, music, um, and do this um, this thing that has uh, you know kind of been sitting in my closet for 35 years. <laughs> and it's happening this Tuesday at the Fox Cinema. 
in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Fox Theatre. You're going to be doing your slide showing. And to prepare the listeners for you, Don Pyle, I played a whole bunch of tracks that you recommended that I play. Thank you for sending them to me. And I thought I'd ask you maybe just to quickly tell the people what we just heard in this last chunk of tunes. We just heard before you came on the Demix with You Tell Me. So that's from their first record, Talks Cheap. Uh, Demix, the band from London, Ontario, who um, were, you know, the kind of the big band in London, Ontario, and, um, you know, were living in Toronto uh, a couple of years after that. They, you know, they did one album, and the album was terrible, but their, their one EP, which has the song New York City, which, you know, everybody uh, seems to know that one, you know, it's sort of like an easy rock classic now. Um and they were just uh, a totally wonderful band. Uh, that was like, you know, the original lineup of the band with uh, Rob Brent um, playing guitar. Uh, a friend of mine, Steve Koch, who is from Calgary, who is um, <laughs> the first person who I met there and resulted in me meeting Reed and Brian and Alex, who I started the band Crash Kills 5 with, and then subsequently um, um, did Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet with. Uh, so, uh, and we, in Crash Kills 5, we shared a rehearsal space with the Demix, so, um, they were, um, you know, wonderful band from, from, uh, London. And, uh, sorry? We used to go, when, in Crash Kills 5, we went to London quite a lot and played with the Demix there quite often, so I saw them lots and lots of times. There's certain bands that I saw, oh God, like the Vialtones I saw more than like 70 times. The diodes I saw, you know, probably 40 times. Teenage Head I probably saw 50 times. And the Demix were another one of those bands. We played with them quite a lot, and, you know, I'd see them in Toronto. And like Teenage Head, they were really exciting to see in their hometown because, you know, here they would come and they would do a club show where they'd play one set and they'd do kind of like their songs and kind of like it was just like all action where, you know, you go to their town and they're playing bars and they're having to do kind of like the old-style bar band thing, which is like, you know, playing three sets a night. So their sets would be padded out with, like, lots of cover songs and lots of songs that uh, you wouldn't otherwise get to hear, you know, a lot of their kind of, like, their sort of second string of songs. So, um, yeah, totally exciting band. And before that, we heard Zoom with Sweet Desperation. Um, that uh, Sweet Desperation, the Zoom single is a record that I think is like totally underrated and it's really been kind of like unnoticed. And I think it's a real like super gem in like, um, kind of pre-punk Canadian music. It's, uh, Chris Haight and, uh, John Hamilton who went on to be, uh, the bass player and the, the vial tones and the drummer and the diodes. <clears throat> so that was before they did, um, the vial tones or the diodes. And, you know, you can hear it, it's totally, it has like a real sort of like, um, you know, Sweeney Todd sort of quality to it, and that sort of like glammy sort of sassy bubblegum that, um, you know, a lot of bands were doing that kind of crossed over into uh, the beginning of punk rock. So they were, you know, a pre-punk band. That was the only single they did. Um, there has been a compilation that uh, came out very recently. I haven't even seen it yet, but I've heard some of the, the tracks online. 
um, of recordings that they did, but, um, you know, kind of a, uh, one of the bands that were sort of laying the foundation for, for all that big explosion that happened in, you know, 76 and 77. I think that that was actually recorded in 75. Well, I heard that people claim it came out in 76 without a picture sleeve and then was reissued with a picture sleeve in 78. So it could be a hoax. Is it a hoax? Like, did it actually come out in 76 without a picture sleeve and then reissued with a picture sleeve in 78? Did it really even come out in 76? I don't think it uh, was reissued. I think that they actually, like, made a picture sleeve. It was out and then to kind of like capitalize on them being known for the other bands later that uh they put a picture sleeve on it and you can tell by the picture on the uh on the sleeve that it's like taken from like probably when you know the diodes and the vinyl tones had already started but that record was like you know out super early and i heard about that record um you know it just it happened like I had it like you know within like weeks of like the very first punk singles, but I don't think it was actually like out on the street in um, '76. I mean, I don't I don't know the exact years, but it was really close. But it was like it predated both those bands. And before that, we heard "Bulletproof Nothing" by Simply Saucer. Yeah, again, another band that uh, predated the punk thing, and they have like you know that song is where the title of uh, Liz Worth's book came from, uh, Treat Me Like Dirt, and a very, you know, obviously Velvet Underground influenced and, um, you know, in some ways kind of doing a similar thing to like what the Modern Lovers were doing. It was sort of uh, Velvet Underground influenced, but um, with a sort of like psychedelic, uh, you know, uh, twinge to it, and they were from um, Hamilton, and I believe that record is from like 1974. I think that I think that one's 74. But again, another record that like was totally um, kind of um, well, the record wasn't, but the the sound and the band were, um, you know, in some ways it's kind of like they're paving the way for for what's to come, and in some ways they're kind of echoing what's already happened. So they're like a bridge band between like, you know, the Velvet Underground and uh, punk rock. So um, fantastic single that came out uh, many years later, uh, long after they recorded it, um, you know, as there's been a lot of uh, revived interest in in them and what they did. And, you know, like so many bands all over the world that uh, there's all these amazing tapes of uh, of, uh, you know, great music hidden all over, and thankfully there's all kinds of crazy archivists and reissue labels like Ugly Pop here that are, you know, making that stuff available to the world. And before that, The Curse with Shoeshine Boy. And again, we are speaking to Don Pyle, who is coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, this Tuesday to the Fox Cabaret, doing his Toronto Punk and Other Trouble out-of-focus talking slideshow, talking about all these great pictures that Don took of all these bands. Right now, Don's talking about the music that we just played in an Ardwater Human Survey radio show before Don came on. But this Tuesday at the Fox Cabaret, and I'm sure there will be some cursing at the Fox Cabaret, won't they? The shoe oh, shine I boy, the so. curse. 
I certainly hope so. The curse will be there, and I hope there will be cursing. I mean, it would not be a cabaret if there were cur- if there if there weren't cursing. Uh, so that cursing all was um, um, Shoeshine Boy and Killer Bees, and that was written about. There was a um, a young boy who is doing shoe shines on Young Street, our main street here, and was uh, picked up by a couple of men and um, sexually abused and then subsequently murdered. And, um, of course, you know, young punks thinking that was, you know, as so, so many people did at that time, made fun of, of, of horrible things or made light of horrible things. Um uh, the curse wrote a song about it, and uh, as you can imagine, there was a lot of outrage in uh, some of the media here, particularly the Toronto Sun, um, and from the families, uh, the family of the uh, the boy. But you know, it was kind of very typical of the curse and lots of other bands to be just completely bratty and. Um, insensitive and um but it's a really really fantastic single i think that curse single is is one of like the best of the toronto singles there's you know maybe like five singles that i think are really really fantastic and that curse one is one of them and um an all-woman band um at a time when there were you know almost no all-women bands and, uh, you know, whether they were the first or the second or third or whatever in Canada is kind of, uh, I don't really know what the details are because I know that, you know, there was the dish rags were around and, um, but, uh, the curse were, uh, our fantastic, um, all woman band in Toronto. And that's their one and only single. But again, like so many others, there's another compilation that came out years later that has, um, rehearsal tapes on it and, um, you know, a couple of other outtake things as well as that, uh, very rare single on it. And before that screaming fist by the vile tones. Yeah. That one, you know, the, the classic of Canadian punk. I mean, I, I honestly think that is like the best single that came out of Canada from that period. Um, it's such a powerful song and it was like, you know, so early on, it was really, really, um, influential and shocking. I mean, it was so fast and loud and powerful and simplistic and, um, you know, absolutely beautiful sleeve that, you know, looked threatening and cool and, uh, black and white and, and, you know, so it contained all of like the best elements of, um, of what was happening in that moment. It's a beautifully recorded record. It's really powerful, great production. And, um, and they're they're responsible for you, aren't they? Like indirectly a vile tone fan letter is why I'm speaking to you today. Right, Don? That's kind of what started it all. I love that. A vile tone (laughs) fan letter is why I'm speaking to you today. Right. It is kind of, yeah. Um, cause, um, you know, I used to go see the Vile Tones so often, and I was making uh, stuff. I was making, like, iron-on T-shirts, you know, like heat transfer T-shirts for this store called New Rose that uh, Freddie Pompey, the uh, guitar player of the Vile Tones, and his uh, wife were running. 
store called New Rose, and um, I was going to have been going to Calgary, or I did go to Calgary, and I told Freddie that I was going to visit there. And he said, hey, we got a letter from a punk in Calgary. You should contact him. So he, uh, they had the letter pinned up on the wall, and he, he found the envelope with Steve's address on it and gave me Steve's address. And so I wrote Steve a letter and said, hey, I'm coming to Calgary. I'm, uh, you know, I'm into punk rock. And, um, you know, it would be great to go see some Calgary bands when I'm there. And, you know, who should I go see and what's happening there? And he wrote back and said, don't come. It's awful here. I can't wait to get out. It's it's really horrible. The only thing close to a punk band in this city is Buick McCain, which is a band that uh, Reed and Brian and Alex, uh, uh, you know, Reed and Brian from Shadowy Man and Alex, who, you know, the three of them were Crash Gills 5 later when they moved to Toronto. Um, so they had this band called Buick McCain, and Muir McCain were like doing some original songs and then doing some like punk covers, but then also doing like, you know, sensational Alex Harvey band songs and, um, you know, other sort of like who songs and, um, you know, playing the bar circuit through Alberta and BC. Um, so at that time they were the only band in Calgary that was kind of, um, you know, doing anything kind of like remotely punk. This is before, you know, the Hot Nasties or any of the the other Alberta bands existed. And um, those bands, you know, kind of like started up like not long after, uh, or, you know, right around when I went to Calgary. So um, I went to Calgary and... Um, um, so wait, before that, let me just back up a second. So anyway, Steve uh, said that, you know, don't come here. But, you know, I was going to see my brother anyway. So when I went there, I met Steve and I met his brother, who was the drummer in, in uh, Buick McCain. And I went and saw them rehearse at, in Brian Connolly's parents' basement. And, um, you know, hence 25 years of of playing with them, playing music with them uh, kind of began on that uh you know, shortly thereafter. Thank you, Mr. Viletone. Thank you to Viletones for producing Don Pyle. And Don Pyle is live here on the Nardwarda Human Serviette radio show in celebration because Don is coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada this Tuesday doing his out-of-focus talking slideshow all about Toronto punk and other picks as well. And that's at the Fox Cabaret. If you have any questions for Don, it's 604-822-2487, 604 604- UBC CITR or tweet me at Nardwar N A R D W U A R. And actually, we have a caller right now on the line. Hello, caller. You have a question? Hello, are you there? Yes, I am. Go ahead to Don Pyle, caller. I'm calling from Toronto. It's uh, Greg Diamond calling. I'm a longtime friend of Nardwar's, and I just wanted to call in because I'm such a fan of Don's work. I've given away his book to many friends, and it also has some great photos of, of the greatest concert I ever went to in my life, The Clash at the Rex Stanford Theatre in 1979. So thanks for taking those shots way back in the day, Don. Oh, thank you. <laughs> How funny that you're calling from Toronto. Yes, and yes. Greg actually wrote the book Mondo Canuck. Have you ever seen that book at all, Don? 
No, I haven't. It's an amazing pop culture book. It was probably the first book to look back on rock and roll and pop culture in Canada when it came up. What do you remember about that gig? And were you at that gig, Don? What do you remember oh about that? Oh, my God. How have I missed that book? What do you remember about that gig there, Greg? What can you tell Don about that gig? Wow. I just, uh, it was at this place that isn't a concert hall anymore on the Danforth. It's called the Rex Danforth. I don't quite know what happened to the history of that building. It's, it's uh, now a gym. A it's a 24-hour gym now. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> as a privileged middle-class punk, I actually flew up from Dalhousie University. as my first-year university and had, had to fly to Toronto to see this, uh, to see this show. And it was, they were touring with Give Him Enough Rope which in my opinion, it got, it, a lot of people don't really regard it as their best album. It's my favorite Clash album. I think they, people don't like it because Sandy Perlman, who did Blue Oyster Cult, produced it. But I, I think the songs are amazing on it. I just remember, it's kind of vague, I just remember you know, Joe Strummer's dramatic delivery. I just had never seen anything quite engage me like that. Of course, this was the era of the Eagles, so... It was easy to be engaged at punk shows. <laughs> and what's interesting about Jeff there, Don, is, is sorry, about Don, uh, uh, sorry, if we get all mixed up here, D- Greg Diamond's co-author on Mondo Canuck <laughs> is Jeff Previer, who yeah. wrote a book about Teenage Head, and you probably contributed photos to that book, did you at all? Did, he, did you get asked to contribute photos to that book at all, Don? Yeah, yeah, that's my photo on the cover of uh, Jeff Previer's book. Wonderful. Well, I wrote, I co-wrote Mondo Canuck with Jeff. And that, yeah, that I think cover, you're a brilliant cover writer. Photos I, I can't believe I, I don't have your book. We'll get Jeff to give you a copy. Maybe you can get it from the cutout bill. Oh, maybe yeah. I should buy it. Well, you so, should. I think that would be better for him if I bought it rather than giving <laughs> I've purchased many copies of your book. So. Right, anyway, I'll, I'll go now. Thank you so much. Well, th- Greg, thank you so much for phoning in. Really, What was the last time you phoned into the Nardwarty Human Soviet Radio four Show? four or five years ago. It, I had a tangential sidebar question, and I'll hang up after I ask it. You can discuss it if you want. I know you're such a huge fan of Neil Young, Nardwar, and yesterday I discovered he's dating Daryl Hannah. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Have you heard of this? (laughs) All I can say is, how dare he? I thought she was waiting around for me. Daryl Hannah? (laughs) Heather Locklear? Oh, my God. God, that's... So anyway, I'll leave you with that bombshell. (laughs) Nice to talk to you, Don. You too. Thanks much, Greg. And doot-doodaloot-doo. Doot-doot. Doot-doot. Oh, sorry, that wasn't for me, was it? That was for (laughs) Greg, actually, there. And yeah, Greg's co-author on Mondo Canuck was Jeff Previer, who you contributed a cover photo for his amazing book on Teenage Head. And we have live here Don Pyle on the Nardwarty Human Serviette radio show. Before we heard a bit of the vial tones there, we also had The Ugly with To Have Some Fun. Yeah, that was from their their one and only seven-inch single, the only thing that they put out when they were together. And that was, um, you know, when that single came out, I was so sad when I heard it because the ugly were not like that single at all. Um, they were way heavier. They were more kind of like influenced by like Alice Cooper group and kind of like, you know, American sort of hard rock. So when that thing came out, it was kind of like, you know, had sort of like, you know, a bubblegummy quality to it and, you know, uh, oohs and background vocals that were, um, you know, much sweeter than what the um, the ugly really were. So it was kind of a shock and a disappointment. Um, 
and uh, it was the band had like just split up and uh, had a whole bunch of new members in the band. So like quite quickly after it was a new band, they uh, did that record. And um, sorry, uh, so they did that record and. Um, are you okay? Are you <laughs> Sorry, okay? My, are you my okay? Cat, my cat's bothering me here. Okay, I thought you might have been choking on like dark room fumes <laughs> or something like that. Uh, so anyway, they did that record um, after the second version of the band came out, and even on the the single "The Sleeve," the drummer quit not long after that uh, that record was recorded, and they cut him out of the picture. But you see his arm; it's like one of those fantastic pictures where you see his arm around someone's shoulder, but. The rest of him is cut out. Um, but um, in retrospect, like, you know, when I've heard that record again, like so many things you kind of like, you know, you hold on to your idea about what they were at the time and, and kind of like the impact it had on you in the moment that you first heard it. But hearing that song now, I think it's fantastic. I think the uh, the ugly single is really great. It's not representative of what they sounded like um, at all, but it's still a really, really good single. And uh, like the curse one, the, you know, that whole series that other people's music uh, did of, uh, um, you know, punk sort of um, archival recordings. There's one of The Ugly as well that has, you know, rehearsal tapes. And I don't think there's live stuff on it, but just like rehearsal tapes that sound like what The Ugly sounded like. Um, but, um, yeah, that was from their, their one single and before that, we heard Tirana with Shockface. <laughs> Shockface, again, another band that, like, their record didn't come out until just a few years ago on an Italian label. So a Toronto band who never had a record when they were around. And um, all these years later, that finally happens. And um, they used one of my photos on the, uh, the, oh, actually, one of my photos, multiple photos of mine on the cover and and, uh, you know, the front and the back. And um, the singer of Tyranna, Vera, um, Rabies, um, she lived on the street that I grew up on. She lived on the street that, you know, my mother lived on forever. And um, her sister and I uh, went to high school together. And so her sister and I became really good friends in school and were going to a lot of the first punk shows and uh, Vera, who started Tyranna, uh, she was more kind of like of a, a rocker, you know. She was sort of like a bit more of sort of a glam rocker. And so when her kid sister, like, you know, started, like, getting all of this attention and was, like, you know, having all these, like, amazing adventures, of course Vera was, like, you know, interested. And so she started, you know, coming to shows as well. And so, you know, I always sort of perceived of her as being sort of like, you know, a, a latecomer and someone who was, you know, just like sort of jumping on a trend. And so at the time I was, you know, kind of dismissive of her. And um, years later, they do, they put out these recordings and I heard them. And, you know, once again, you know, I realized my my ideas are kind of like stuck in you know, what I thought in 1978 and hearing it fresh. I think it's a really, uh, a really good record. Um, 
you know, they've got some cool sort of like arty things, some things that are sort of new wave, some that are sort of like straight up sort of punk. Uh, they do a really kind of like slow, raunchy version of I Want to Be Where the Boys Are. So, um, you know, again, another band that kind of came and went. And I had a lot of pictures of them because, you know, she was my friend and she lived right down the street. And so I was taking pictures of them from before they were even a band, like, she, you know, put out ads for uh, musicians, and um, she met this one guy, John Ziegler, from uh, from uh, ads that she put out. And so, when she had a guitar player, then she could put out another ad saying, you know, singer and guitar player looking for a band. And then they met this other guy, Jerry, uh, also known as Johnny Bubblegum. And uh, so, I took pictures of them, like practically the first day that they met they had not even like written a song or uh <laughs> or recorded or or done anything but uh, you know i took pictures of them because the three of them had met so therefore they were a band i love that that you had the <laughs> photos before any songs any gigs, yeah i know even it was so for... great i mean and it was so much like like i mean i i think that that probably still happens now but I think that is so fantastic. It's like, oh, we have a picture. We have a picture where we look like a band, so therefore we should be a band. We should write some songs now. Shit, we have to write some songs. We've got a picture. <laughs> and before that, we heard the Diodes with Child Star. Um, and that's from their first album, uh, the Diodes, the first Canadian band signed to a major label, CBS, uh, Columbia Records. And, uh, you know, I think their first album is really fantastic, and that was one of my favorite songs on that record. Um, not the single, you know, they had that, their first single was uh, the cover song, Red Rubber Ball, which I think is also a, a really great song. Child Star was on the B side of it, and it's about, um, um, I forget what the actress's name is, but the uh, the girl who played Buffy on the TV show Family Affair, it was the two kids, Buffy and Jody. And uh, she went on to uh, have a drug problem and die of a drug overdose. And, you know, like the curse, writing about the kid that got murdered, they wrote a, a, a funny song about, you know, a girl who died tragically of a drug overdose. Um, so that song's written about uh, the actress who played Buffy on Family Affair. And before that, CN Tower by The Poles. And again, we're speaking here to Don Pyle, who's coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, to show his punk picks, Toronto Punk and Other Trouble. And it's going to be an out-of-focus, an out-of-focus talking <laughs> slideshow this Tuesday, September 16th, 7 p.m. at the Fox Cabaret, 2321 Main Street in Vancouver. And Don's going to talk, just like Don's talking about the music we played in an Ardwater Human Serviette radio show, you're going to be talking about the wonderful punk picks. <laughs> I'm going to sit around a fireplace and tell some old punk stories. <laughs> the Poles, CN Tower. Now that song and that record, I think is like, <clears throat> is like one of like the great like Toronto records. You know, I always loved records and um, bands that kind of like were really, really kind of like location specific location specific and year specific i really uh you know it's one of the things that like so many people that i really really miss about um about 
you know, records. I mean, I still buy LPs, so I don't have that issue so much. But for so many people now, like, you know, they're completely disconnected from the aesthetic of, um, of art. And um, I think that, that people's, like, you know, sensibility, a lot of young people's sensibility from my generation and from so many generations before and after um, that are, um, are sort of like sensibility and understanding and kind of introduction into the world of uh, visual art and um, a sort of like complete aesthetic that involved uh, a visual image and a sound image was from record covers. And uh, that pole single is one of them. Like, you know, I think of something like uh, the Martha and the Muffins Metro Music where... Um, you know, they sing songs about Toronto, and the record has a map of Toronto on it. And, um, you know, their second record, uh, this is the Ice Age, that has the um, um, the Bank of Montreal building on it. And the bands that I was in, we, you know, kind of did the same thing. Like the Crash Kills 5 single that we did had the Toronto Dominion uh, Bank buildings on it, which are, you know, these beautiful black, very kind of like sinister, but totally elegant looking high rise towers um, in downtown Toronto. So they had those on the sleeve and the first shadowy men album. Um, you know, we have our city hall on the cover. So, you know, we really wanted to be, you know, presented as a Toronto band. We wanted to, you know, show ourselves as being Toronto, definitely from a time when, you know, being from Toronto internationally or even in Canada was totally not cool. You know, at that time there was like much more of a rivalry between, you know, the East and the West. Thank God that's gone away. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, anyone in England or Australia or anything, you know, if you said you were from Toronto, you were basically saying that you were from, you know, uh, the the swamp in the backwoods um and you know we kind of like that um so um the poll single is like i love how toronto specific it is because they're singing about the cn tower something that at the time was like so like you know in our consciousness it's very much about that moment in time this giant thing that kind of was bigger than everything else and sort of ridiculous and and phallic but um you know they wrote a song about this thing that was um you know so kind of like silly and new but that song it's so i think it has like a really kind of like sinister sort of like cool quality to it it's a really beautiful song and she's wearing a t-shirt on the front cover of uh, she michael jordana uh, the singer of a fish jumping out of the water. And I actually remember seeing that, that tourist T-shirt on racks at the time. Uh, and it says Toronto across it. So, like, you know, here you come up, come up to the north. It's totally like, you know, the U.S. perception of going up to Canada. So you go to Toronto, and your souvenir T-shirt has a speckled trout leaping in the air after a, a fly. <laughs> uh the poles, so, the music, CN Tower. I thought the music, not necessarily the vocals, but the music sounds really like the Avengers. It's, the, a, it's an Avengers song I can't place, but it really sounds similar to an Avengers song. Yeah, I mean, it does sort of have that quality. You know, I think that, um, I don't know what song exactly, but I, I totally hear what you're saying. But, um, 
you know, they do have a bit of kind of that sort of, um, you know, surfy guitar sort of thing. That's not really, but it's like probably more like Ennio Morricone-ish, where there's like, you know, kind of like a minor overtone, like something is going to happen, something terrible is going to happen in this song. Were they first? Were the Poles before the Avengers? I think the Avengers were first, weren't they? Who formed first? Do you know? I don't know who formed first. They were probably around the same time because the Poles were like a very early band here. You know, that um, um, that was like, you know, definitely like one of the handful of first singles here. And, you know, they were a band that were like super ambitious and really had their eyes like set on the big time. And... Um, you know, them and the Diodes were really kind of known as, like, you know, the bands that were kind of like the real climbers, the ones that that were really, like, going for success. And um, <clears throat> that Pulse single was on the Nimbus 9 label that, I mean, the only other records I know on that label are Guess Who records, which, you know, to me makes their single kind of cool that it's on the same label as the Guess Who from that period. But... Um, yeah, I don't know who was first, but um, as far as records coming out, the uh, the I mean, I definitely had the Pulse single before the Avengers single, and I think that the Pulse single actually came out before the Avengers single. And before that, we heard Step Out Tonight by The Mods, game speaking here to Don Pyle, part of Don Pyle's Out of Focus Talking Slideshow, happening this Tuesday in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at the Fox Cabaret. The Mods, Step Out Tonight. And what I was curious about The Mods was, A, is it that guy's real voice? And, <laughs> and B, did they have mods following them around in parkas? Was there like mods on scooters and stuff? Was there a mod scene? No, there was no mod scene, and I think that that's probably why they call themselves the mods, because, you know, if there actually were a mod scene, they would have been just, like, laughed off the stage, because they were so not really a mod band, you know? Their drummer was obviously really into Keith Moon, and, you know, they liked to wear black and white suits and skinny ties and be sort of vaguely modish, but... They were not really, you know, sort of a mod band, you know. They had some of the superficial trappings of it, like Rickenbacker guitars, but even their name, the mods, it's like calling yourself the R&B or the punks. or It's, it's such a silly name. Um, and, you know, obviously from the singing on it, it's, it's sort of affected, well, more than sort of affected, it's totally affected. Um, but, you know, it's... No more affected than, you know, Steve Bader singing in, you know, a punk voice, you know. Um, so they were a band that, you know, they were kind of like part of the sort of the second wave of, of bands that started springing up after the the first kind of, um, you know, the, the bands that I think of as the originators of, of the scene here. Um, so, you know, more of a kind of like a second wave band, but, you know, very poppy band. And that, I mean, there was no mods here. Um, you know, that, that whole sort of concept was something that, you know, we, we knew from, you know, who records or from reading the NME. Um, it wasn't something that was like really here. Interesting. And the only people that knew about like mods or skinheads were English people. Um, I had, I remember a couple of times 
having old, old English ladies coming up to me and asking me if I was a skinhead. And, like, at the time, I had, like, no idea of kind of, like, the whole sort of, like, political connotations of being a skinhead. Uh, but, you know, there were just, like, no people that had really, really short hair. So, you know, I was noticed by these old ladies who identified me as being this thing that they knew from home. Interestingly, the mods had a Rickenbacker light show guitar. I don't know if you remember that all. They had a Rickenbacker light show guitar that the Vindicators from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, Darren from the Vindicators later inherited or got because it had the mods written on the guitar case. And you shared a record with the Vindicators. You were on the same record label as the Vindicators, Og Records, and I think Nardwar Records too. Is No, not, not at that time, but Og Records. So do you remember a Rickenbacker light show guitar at all? Um, I do remember that guitar, and <clears throat> I think that ac- actually Ashley from the Dundrells had that guitar at some point as well. So it's a record that, or I mean, it's a, a guitar that's uh, that's been around. There were a couple of them in Toronto, and I don't remember if Ashley's was the same one or if it was that guy's, but it was like one that he would, you know, kind of take out for just like certain songs because I don't think it was. Either it was not a great sounding guitar, I don't know, I didn't really know anything different about it other than, ooh, here's the guitar that lights up. Don Pyle, coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, this Tuesday, September 16th at 7pm for his, for your, out of focus talking slideshow, talking about Toronto Punk and Other Trouble. What sort of BC bands will be in the other trouble? You kind of teased us with a little picture there of Chuck Biscuits of DOA or Slideshow. Are there any BC bands you can tease us with? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, uh, at that time, um, you know, in the book, I have a, 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 uh, a reproduction of a flyer of the Skulls who came out here and... Um, you know, it was the band that, uh, uh, you know, Wimpy Roy had, um, and, um, that, uh, Joey Shithead was in and, um, the band putting for them is Wimpy and the Bloated Cows, which is basically the same band as the Skulls, but they wrote on the flyer from London, England, because, you know, they thought that would, you know, probably just cause they thought it would be like, ha ha ha, we're going to say we're from london england and then the suckers will like you know come and see the band from england but really it's just going to be us in a different configuration so those guys came out here and they were living here for a little while and that's kind of like you know things were so regional there was like news did not travel or news traveled very slowly so you know they were out here for a little while and um I don't know if they had like plans to stay here and kind of like, you know, break into the music scene and it didn't work out or if they were just like here because it was easier to live here for a month and just play a bunch of shows or what, but you know, they went back home and then not long after that DOA came out, but so few of the bands came out here. Like, you know, actually I can't think of any of the bands like point of six never came here. Dish rags, young Canadians, none of those bands came here. Um, and similarly, the Toronto bands, the only bands that that toured out there were Teenage Head and Diodes, and that was kind of like later in their, you know, like after they'd begun, and, you know, they were sort of on that, 
that horrible sort of Canadian bar band circuit that um, that existed at that time. You know, before there were actually like great clubs across Canada to play, they would be playing horrible bars all across the country and doing bar band sets, you know, like where you had to do three sets a night and do cover songs and whatnot. You know, they weren't like a concert band. Um, so the bands just didn't travel, you know, um, it was pretty brave bands that would come here, um, with like, you know, just, uh, a single or, um, you know, who had like just released an album, but, um, None of the the Vancouver bands came here until um, a bit later on. You know, like um, God, I'm trying to think. Like, I don't think the Point of the Sticks even came here until they did that reunion a few years ago. I think they might have done one show just before they broke up in Toronto. When they broke up the first time? Yeah, I think they might have done like one show in 1980. Oh well, at the very very end. Yeah, I maybe have a vague recollection of them playing on like on the bill at a big show like opening for like you know the dickies or xdc or something like that uh but i i definitely don't remember seeing them in a club because you know i loved them i would have gone to see them and... interesting about the pointed sticks john ginoli from pansy division actually wrote a fan letter to the pointed sticks telling them not to break up and i found that fan letter in amongst some stuff at zulu records and then did an interview with john ginoli from pansy vision all about him writing the letter john oh, from my god john from champaign illinois so john in champaign illinois was writing the pointed sticks my crew saying don't break up don't break up and of course they broke up and then i found that fan letter so the pointed sticks had fans all over they had you and they had john from pansy john ginoli Shout out to John Ginoli. <laughs> Maybe it was all the, all the homosexuals. I guess Point uh, of Sticks must have appealed to the homosexual crowd. <laughs> and, Don Pyle, you are amazing with your knowledge. In fact, because you have not been on the Nardward, a human serviette radio show, in 24 years, I have actually about 24 more pages worth of questions <laughs> to ask you, and we have run out of time right now. Well, you're coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, again for Don Pyle, Don Pyle's Toronto Punk and Other Trouble, a slideshow talking about all your photos. We talked about, we just finished now talking about all the music we played before you came on the Nardward, a human serviette radio show. I I guess a lot of the bands we talked about will be at the slideshow, right? Yeah, the, the um, pretty much all those bands I have photographs of, and and they were you know kind of like the best of the uh, the you know first and a bit of the second wave of and you know before the first wave of of Toronto and Toronto area punk stuff. So I guess what I was wondering is, Don, is there any way you might be able to call in? Next week, even though you'll probably be back in Toronto, so we can finish this <laughs> no, I off. I will be back in Toronto. I'm going to Seattle and to Portland and then Calgary. Will you be around next Friday at 3.30 or 4 to phone in to the Nardware Human Soviet Radio Show? I think I'm still going to be in, I'm possibly still going to be in Vancouver, or else I might be on a train to, to Seattle on that day, but we can... I can get back to you and let you know. That would be great. Maybe come on up to CITR for some live Don Pyle action or phone in. Again, I really appreciate it because I've run out of time. I guess I shouldn't have waited 24 years to speak <laughs> to you, Don, because there's all these questions that I still want to ask. And we only just talked about the music we played to bring you on to the Nardwater Human Survey Radio Show. Didn't really even start the interview. But thanks again. Props to Greg Diamond for 
for phoning into the Nardwar Human Radio Show. So I'll talk to you again. And listeners, hopefully, Don Pyle next week or another week on the Nardwar Human Serviette Radio Show so we can finish off. But one last time, Don, what's happening on Tuesday if people want to check you out? So uh, there will be probably a lot more of what I've just been talking about. Uh, but uh, <laughs> more more of me rambling uh, at length about... Um, different things that are in the photographs that uh, that I took. And, you know, when I say the out-of-focus talking slideshow, it's a, lot, a lot of the pictures are in the book, but there's a lot of pictures that aren't in the book. And um, Yeah, for more information, people should check out. What website should they check out if they can't make the show? What's your website? There is a uh, website for the book, which is troubleinthecameraclub.com. Troubleinthecameraclub.com. Yes. Don Pyle, Toronto Punk and Other Trouble, this Tuesday at the Fox Cabaret in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, talking slideshow. And right now, we are going to end right now the Nardwater Human Survey interview with Don Pyle, part one, <laughs> part one, with the dishes. We're going to, what can tell people about the dishes monopolies are made at night that we're going to end the Nardwater Human Survey radio show with? Uh, well, that was from their first uh, seven inch uh, fashion plates. And, um, again, a band that kind of, like, sort of predated uh, punk and were sort of obviously, like, very Roxy music influenced. They had the same lineup, same, you know, um, same instrumentation as Roxy music. And you hear their songs, and they're they're very, you know, sort of, like, arty, clever, and a, you know, really kind of low-rent version of, of Roxy music. And... They came out of the Ontario College of Art, which is where, like, you know, a lot of the bands, there's a real divide in Toronto, like, you know, an east side and the west side divide. And the west side bands were, is where the art college was. And they were the kind of like the clever bands, the smart bands, the bands that were, you know, kitschier. Uh, and um, the Dishes and Rough Trade were the two bands that, you know, had this kind of like thing about them that connected to like the British uh, kind of like art glam bands and the New York sort of like, you know, Warhol Velvet Underground sort of glammy scene there. And um, even though they're like, you know, definitely not like, you know, a heavy band or really a punk band, they really were like, you know, one of the sort of uh, significant and interesting bands uh, before punk happened. And, um, uh, the drummer of the band, Stephen Davey, he uh, he passed away just very recently. Um, and he's someone who I've always thought of as being a really interesting guy who, um, you know, wrote songs for the Vile Tones and the Diodes and um, used to write for Beatle magazine before, uh, before the dishes were happening when he was a teenager and, you know, interviewing people like Brian Eno when he was 14 for Beatle. Uh, so, you know, they kind of connect to, um, you know, a lot of the other music that, that I was obsessed with when I was a kid and, you know, a lot of it that I still am. Well, thank you so much again for phoning into the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, Don Pyle. Really appreciate it. And people should check out Don Pyle's Toronto Punk and Other Trouble this 
Tuesday at the Fox Cabaret in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, 7 p.m., an out-of-focus talking slideshow. Here are the mon- here are the dishes with Monopolies Made at Night. And, Don, I will talk to you later. Hopefully, maybe you can make it next week for part two. Either that or in 2036. Boom! Yes, I forgot about that. Uh, Hopefully before then, but thank you again. And now we're going back to October 1990, 24 years ago as I end the show. Actually, no, what year would this be, the dishes? What year is the dishes? Uh, That uh, single is, um, I think that one's 77. All right. Well, thanks so much, Don. Keep on rocking in the free world and do-do-do-do-do. Do-do-do. Stars, we see the water below, and to the left are the 